was talking to an engineer at a big tech company, I think last week, and she's really excited about our culture, especially this idea of treat people like adults. And one of the things that she said that is so frustrating about her current job is that they organize these like employee play dates that are all optional, but she doesn't go to them and it shows up on her performance review that she didn't go. They're like, well, you know, we just don't think that you're a team player because you didn't go to the team happy hour. She's like, oh, so this is actually mandatory. Like, oh, no, no, it's optional. It's like, okay. <laughs> and if you're an adult, you have agency over what you go to. If you don't want to go to these events, you don't have to. You can prioritize your family. You can prioritize whatever you want. You don't have to be forced into these like company-led events that are not specifically related to your job. I'm Ben Grenell part of the growing team here at Levels. We're a venture-funded startup backed by more than a thousand of our community members and some of the best VCs in the game, including Andreessen Horowitz. On this podcast, we talk about everything we do. We share the learnings about our culture and what we're building along the way. This is Inside the Company. When Netflix was about to go public, there was a lot of chatter, a lot of talk within the company about how they should treat information. Well, what it came down to is Reed Hastings, co-founder of Netflix, author of the book, No Rules Rules. He brings it up in the book, but it was one of these points of contention internally. Should we be transparent with everybody? We have been to date. Something that they anchored on deeply. And it's something that we've taken into account as one of our cultural values at levels treat people like adults. That was the sentiment. What should they do about sharing information, private confidential information as a publicly traded company? When you're private, well, you can share anything you want. There's no consequences to it. But when you are a publicly traded company or you're dealing with situations that are highly regulated, there's a lot of confidentiality, a lot of privacy considerations. The outlook is to treat people like adults. That's what Netflix did and that's what we do internally. We treat everyone like adults. It's one of the takeaways, one of the ways that we think about how do we build a strong culture of trust, autonomy, openness, honesty, so that people feel that they can always have direct conversations when need be. So Sam Korkos and Josh Clementi, two of the co-founders, and Mike Haney, editorial director at Levels, the three of them sat down and they discussed this concept of treating people like adults. What does it actually mean? Why do we use it internally? And why is it really important for us to use this as a concept and scale it internally within our team? It was a really interesting conversation and it's something that there's a lot to learn. We're continuing to learn from it ourselves internally. We're continuing to iterate on this concept, but it is something that is very important. And so here's where they kick things off. One of our most important cultural values is treat people like adults. And um, I guess I would open in the broadest way possible. I I have some opinions on this. I have a whole bunch of notes. Um, But uh, I wanted to open it to you two first. What, what, what do you think we mean when we say that? What does that phrase mean to you? Josh, do you want to go ahead? Sure. Um, so in my opinion, it, it means don't try and sugarcoat, treat people like they have the same intellectual capability that you do. And in general, be respectful. 
I, th- I think in- inherent in treating people like adults also is act like an adult, um, which is sort of like a bi-directional responsibility. Yeah, it's interesting. I, the first place I go is um, is the trust part of what comes up with that, that so much of management, I think, and organizing people or, or managing people within an organization is sort of built around worst case scenarios. Um, you know, you have an expense policy because you're afraid somebody's going to abuse the expense policy. And I have always thought of the treat people like adults as flipping that on its head. And let's assume another phrase we use a lot, assume best intent, right? And assume that everybody is going to, um, act like an adult and act responsibly and create policy around that or center your policy on that, not the edge cases. Yeah, that's exactly. So something that I've been reflecting on this concept a lot more. And I think that a lot of this comes down to assumptions and specifically what, what assumptions can you safely make about everyone else at the company? I'll give you a specific example. So, uh, a little while ago, I wrote a document on measuring development velocity for the engineering team. And this is a notoriously difficult thing. And a lot of, a lot of, especially non-technical leaders who want to understand how well their engineering teams are performing, will try to create these quantitative metrics with like lines of code shipped times number of story points. They come up with some algorithm for understanding the relative quality and velocity of, of different teams. And it ends up suffering from, uh, from this issue where, what is it? Uh, Goodhart's law, where whatever metric you start to optimize for, it ends up just getting gamed and it stops, it stops having meaning. And something that came out of that exploration that became really obvious to me is that, uh, if you start with the assumption that you have good engineers and that your engineers want to do good work, then you don't really need to do any of those things. Like uh, all of this quantifying of like trying to, trying to compare people to each other and understanding output doesn't really matter as much if you can make that assumption. And if you can't make the assumption, you probably should just solve the upstream problem, which is like higher people who you know want to do good work who are good engineers it's like solve that and then you don't have to worry about it it reminds me of um it's kind of like if you're if you're developing a constitution for a country you have to create rules that factor in the reality that there will be bad actors who will try to subvert the system you don't get to choose who will be in your country but you do get to choose who will be in your company so whereas in, in like constitutional law, when you have to come up with checks and balances, you're, you're balancing the fact that there will be people, you, you can't make the assumption that everyone will act with good intent. If you're designing a government, you have to create these systems that account for the fact that there will be many, many bad actors. But it seems like there's a principle in here around what, what are the assumptions that you want to be able to make about the people that you work with. Does that sound like a, like a fair statement? I think so. Um, there's, 
there's a lot there. However, you know, there, there's the alignment with cultural values and then there's the realities of personality and emotion and the fact that, you know, I think as Haney put it quite aptly, not everyone is a fully actualized person who can just deal with all of the stresses of all of the most brutal realities at one time. And so um, I think just kind of jumping ahead a little bit to where the, I think the conversation's heading, yes, you can, you can make uh, distinctions about who you, you know, the culture and principles and foundation that you're building and the people who you know or feel will respect and want to proliferate them. But there's still a whole bunch of variability within the people who might fit those principles. Yeah, that was what I was thinking about as well as trying to sort of steel man that argument a bit and, you know, going back to assume good intent. So even with the developer example, you can hire people who are really good developers and who you trust have the, you know, best interest of the company in mind. Um, but I would imagine even within developers, there's just a range of, of individual velocity, right? Some people are just going to be more thinkers are going to be better at moving faster or slower. When there's four people on a team, that's probably a lot easier to manage around and to, to put all that together, to then create an organizational velocity that you can think about when there's a hundred developers, it probably gets a lot more tricky if somebody at a, you know, product head level is trying to figure out the velocity of the product for the company to meet milestones or to get to a certain place. You know, you have to assume the car is going to travel at a certain speed and accounting for that individual variance isn't about sort of treating people like adults or not. It's just the reality that, that people sort of behave differently. And I think on the other side, again, sort of assuming best intent, I think it's possible for maybe particularly employees early in their career or people even later in their career who have maybe come from very different organizations that had different incentive structures or different political structures that, that inspired them to behave in other ways that maybe totally bought into the culture that we are trying to create, but will for completely innocent reasons find themselves acting in ways that we would look at and say like, well, you're not acting like an adult. And so that's where I think this gets really interesting around what do we do from a policy perspective to account for that? So I think this speaks to your point, Sam, about you can't pick who's in your country. You can pick who's in your company. It's like, yes, with an asterisk, like still accounting for like those variances. And, and how do you create policies that sort of just account for that? Yeah. And it, it ties into one of your, one of your other questions. And I, I've been thinking about the answer and I haven't come up with one. Um, the, the question of we're all on the same page that diversity of thought is extremely important for the resilience of an organization. Um, but like a, an extreme example of this is we, we don't, for the sake of diversity, we don't want to bring jerks into the company just because we have an underrepresentation of jerks, right? <laughs> that seems like an obvious example. So diversity for diversity's sake is not the goal. Um, but what is the, I don't have an answer for the question of what are the what are the boundaries of culture as it relates to if you end up with a group of people who all share the same characteristics across the board that's probably bad but there are some characteristics that you want everyone to have in common so i don't know what the what the boundaries of that might be i think this is um this is an interesting one and i think it goes to you want principle alignment I think it's it's the case that 
having misaligned principles, if we disagree about the way we see the world and the sort of important factors, like for example, disagree and commit or transparency culture, we're going to create unnecessary and prolific friction and problems. However, like again, in, inside of an individual, you have not just the way that they think about the world, the mental models they share, but also who they are as a person and their, their background experiences, um, where they come from, wh what they value in life in the long term. I, I think you have a lot of person variety and diversity in, in who the person is. And that's, I think, what we're talking about here is do you want replicas of the same individual across their personality traits um, who might have really great communication, like they might be able to work flawlessly together, but you're not going to have a lot of out-of-the-box thinking potentially? Um, or do you want a range of individuals who kind of are, are all working in this, playing the same rules or playing the game by the same rules, but still are individuals and still bring a variety of diverse experience to the table? And I think that's that's like... I don't have an answer in terms of like what we're selecting for, but I, I suppose we we want similar shared principle, but diverse personality. Yeah. And I think distilling down to those, what are those core principles that, that are kind of the bare minimum at, at a higher phase, right? You want sort of intellectual alignment with where the company's headed. You want buy into the mission, but like, you know, the example you just mentioned transparency is interesting because I know one of the examples that you guys have both talked about. Um, around like disagree and commit, for instance, was Josh, your reticence around some of the transparency ideas early on when Sam suggested them. So you can imagine a world in which, let's say, Josh, you're interviewing for this job two years in, and this gets brought up, and you, for completely legitimate reasons of your past, just have a real challenge with that idea. And you might say in the interview, look, I, you know, boy, this really doesn't resonate with me. I, I mean, I guess I trust you guys if you think it's a good idea. But you could imagine an internal conversation, a sort of bar raiser conversation where we go, look, man, I just don't know if Josh is a cultural fit. He's really opposed to this transparency idea. And that would remove your ability to grow into uh, that learning, right? Or it could turn out that like you were right. Like Sam could have been wrong about the transparency thing. Sam had this crazy idea early on. Fortunately, Josh got him to pause on it. And boy, it turned out it was a really good idea that we did that, right? Yeah, uh, that's happened before too. <laughs> good, good. So one of the things that somebody mentioned, I think in the Friday forum and talking about some of the new hires was kindness as a thing that we select on. Um, and I feel like in some ways it's really hard to suss out in an interview. Most people are pretty kind in an interview and I don't know how you suss for that. But so much of what we talk about in terms of making a good leader and a good teammate and that I think relates back to each one of these concepts around trust and transparency that all go to this treating people like adults kind of comes back to that assume good intent, which necessitates sort of kindness, openness, low ego. And I feel like there are probably others, but I'm increasingly arriving at like, that is just a really core thing that I'll be honest, I haven't always hired for, you know, I've hired people who I thought, you know, this person's probably going to create some friction, um, but boy, they're really smart or God, they just really know the space. They have the experience. We'll figure out the other thing. We'll teach them how to get along. I hired a product manager once, um, uh, in that camp where when I told the team that I had hired this individual that they were starting, there was a collective gasp around the room because people had some familiarity with it for them. And it's like, all right, but you know, look, he's really committed to get along out there, but he's going to figure it out. He's going to come in. It's, it's all going to be fine. And a year later, he was gone. I mean, we had six months of drama and then he had to leave and everybody hated each other. I don't think it's a given that you hire for that. And I think it's hard to do, but I think that's probably one of the core principles. And there are probably others that would 
feed back into this other, those higher level principles or those more sort of practical principles of trust, transparency, behaving like and being treated like an adult, et cetera. Yeah, this ties into uh, one of the things that Mark Randolph said in the conversation I had with him that cultural misalignment is infinitely destructive. It's like, it doesn't matter how good they are, if they are not culturally aligned, value, weight that at infinity. <laughs> so that was a useful data point. I, I love Haney's example, though, just now of, of you and I sort of disagreeing on the transparency thing initially. Now, I think if you abstract a layer up to why do you, like we were aligned in our long conversation about transparency in the goals. Like we don't want to create a, the opposite scenario where everything's confidential. Like, in fact, we want people inside the company to be able to access the information they need to do their jobs. So we were aligned there and it was, it was working through the process of understanding why do you feel that your framework would be better than my framework? And I think we kind of compromised on a few key things where we got on the same page. And so I think that process of being able to not be offended outright by someone else's opinions and to instead find out, okay, it's not possible that Sam wants us to be pursued for violating laws, like because of oversharing information. So that, that can't be, can't be right. Um, and I also don't want to deny other people in the company access to information for no reason. So clearly there's some overlap here. Let's figure out where that is. I think that process of being open-minded to discovering the opinions, which I believe is assigning best intent. That this to me is like maybe the core, in my opinion, cultural principle, which is, are you able to plan to find the best in the other person's argument in advance, no matter how crazy it might sound on day one, or how they're, how they're framing it. Um, and so I think that's part of acting like an adult maybe is, you know, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to say I'm the model person here. I've definitely misinterpreted opinions, but just in this example, I think it is trying to find the rationale for the argument rather than just putting up a blocker. One of the many things that we do with Levels is create content about metabolic health. The main thing that we do is we have an app. The Levels app pairs with the continuous glucose monitor so you can track your glucose in real time. More than 40,000 people have used Levels to lose weight, gain energy, and increase longevity. You can see how things like food, sleep, exercise, stress, and environmental factors affect your metabolic health. And Levels is backed by some of the best thought leaders in the world, including Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Robert Lustig, and Dr. Mark Hyman, amongst others. To learn more about Levels and track your blood sugar in real time, join Levels at levels.link company. If we frame this in the, in the context of assumptions, what assumptions do we want to be able to make about every person working at levels? Like you, you, somebody you've never interacted with at the company and you're going to send them their first message for a project you're going to work with them on. What assumptions do you want to be able to make about that person? That they, you know, I, I would say a few, a few things off the top of my head would be that they are good faith actors um, who share the same goals and um, probably that they assign best intent to the other people inside the organization. Yeah, Something I think in here say, as well. Sorry, go ahead, Amy. I was going to say, I think similar along those lines. I, I'm trying to think about this when I think about the new people who are being hired. What are the assumptions I make when I see that a new person has been hired just by the fact that they have been hired here 
I think, you know, interesting background, um, which means they're, they're just bringing something unique to the table. Speaking back to your point of diversity, like I'm always struck by the really interesting backgrounds we seem to find in all levels of, of employees. Uh, kindness does strike me over and over again. And I think similar to what you're saying, Josh, commitment to no politics. Somebody just asked me recently about somebody externally about us doing something and said, oh, you know, but we just want to be careful about that because we know there's sometimes politics. And I literally laughed and I was like, oh, no, we don't we don't do that here. And it was like about you, Sam. It was like, I don't know if this Sam might be offended. I was like, no, 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 no. Like we don't do politics. And I think that's just, again, like rare. That's not common at places. Um, and I think we have to be vigilant to keep that up as the team grows. But that would be a core assumption I would make, which I think both those things sort of kindness and no politics speaks back to that assume good intent, that at least people will make a good faith effort to assume good intent, even if it is sometimes hard. Yeah, it's, it's one of the interesting things. Um, I'll actually frame this in the specifics of one of the one of the out of left field proposals that I've had that we probably won't end up implementing. But, you know, I'm going to throw it out as a straw man, which is in applicant tracking systems when you're hiring people. The default functionality of every applicant tracking system at every company is as soon as you hire somebody, all of the interviews and assessments all get hidden so that that person can't see what other people thought about them. Um, that's normal. I What I would propose is that on day one, we give those people all of the assessments, including the people who said no hire for certain reasons, which is really unusual and will probably make some people uncomfortable. But there's, there's this concern that I... I would foresee that people will say, well, if that's the case, then some people will withhold negative criticism or negative uh, feedback, or people will hedge in what they say, and they'll only say positive things. But if you ask those people on our team, like, would you do that? They would say no. They're in many ways, they're, they're hedging for this worst case scenario of like, well, what happens if we have a bunch of very political people who don't operate under our principles in the company, how will they react? And maybe if we can make the assumption that everyone at the company, like a, a hypothetical would be, we hire an engineer and, uh, I don't know, John says like, I don't think we should hire this person because I don't think that they have enough backend skill to do the role. This is hypothetically, it would be really useful for that new hire to know that John has this concern instead of John in the back of his mind, always having this lingering concern that this person isn't qualified, they can just immediately address that in an early conversation. So this maybe ties into the earlier question of like, can we assume that everyone is a self-actualized adult? Like, should we assume that maybe we can? Can I just ask a question to play that idea out? What do you imagine the substance of the, what do you imagine happens with that, that particular example, right? John has that concern. The person starts, they see that. Does John initiate a call with them? Does the candidate initiate a call? Does the manager suggest like, hey, as you will see in the feedback, John had concerns about this. And what do you see as the substance of that conversation? The person saying, um, 
I'm sorry, you feel that way. I do. Or boy, I look forward to showing you. I, I do have the concern or that John gets more specific about, well, I, I just haven't seen that in your roles. Like what's the, what, what happens in that conversation and what is the sort of takeaway value for both John and the candidate coming out of that conversation? Yeah, I think so. The one thing that it really reinforces very early on is that direct negative feedback is acceptable. In fact, it's acceptable and it's normal. And you see that on day one. You, you will see people's concerns. And I would expect the conversation with John will go something like, hey, I saw that you had some concerns about this. How can we, how can we make sure that you that you understand my abilities in this regard. Or, or you might even say like, yeah, honestly, you're totally right. I'm actually not really a back-end person. And most of my skill is focused on front-end. Just being able to resolve those tensions very early on instead of having them linger. The, the reality is that if, if people have very strong negative opinions about people, we probably wouldn't hire them to begin with. But if we did, the one of the things that we... I think need to get better at as a culture is continually surfacing these pieces of feedback. Um, it's something that we haven't had too many instances where, where people's performance was really suffering and we haven't given them feedback, but just as a culture, we are pretty isolated. And this is something where I think because we are fully remote and you don't interact with people on the team just casually, that we need to be much more intentional about building this in as a piece of culture. So I, I would imagine that it's more like a culture reinforcement. So sort of like how for every new hire, we have them directly edit the onboarding template for the next hire. If you see something that could be improved in onboarding, you improve it yourself. Don't complain to somebody like it is you are an active contributor in building this culture. And so by, by having that as something on day one, reinforcing like we are open with our feedback and our criticism and like here are all of the evaluations and we recommend talking to each person about this. Um, like this is how we operate. It just, it feels more culturally aligned. Now, whether it's, whether it's worth the, whether it's worth whatever cost there is, there's a different question. I just, I wonder I wonder if that is a thing that makes sense in the context of treat people like adults. I think where I come in on the feedback point is that's feedback on an impression or it's either feedback on who that person perceives you to be, like who you are, or their impression of your past experience, as opposed to, I think, the feedback we want to encourage, which is either that directional feedback about from an individual employee to the company or the feedback on performance, right? So six months in, if John says, um, I think you could be doing, I, I think your backend development could be cleaner, could be sharper, could be faster. That feels like a more substantive conversation that you could point to as opposed to, I'm thinking about the notes that I'm putting in to candidates I'm interviewing now. And, you know, sometimes the notes I'm putting in are about the vibe I get because that kind of has to be important, right? I'm going to work with this person a lot and it could be, you know, I don't know what the utility is of them seeing what the first impression of my vibe was on that first conversation. Yeah, this is kind of where 
my mind goes, if there's a quantitative rationale, like we can explicitly say this person is not good at something that they have to be good at, but we probably won't hire them if they have to be good at it. Or, um, or it's something like, well, they're not sharp on this thing, but they, they're fast learners. We think they can improve. Most of the feedback, I think, I, I think like a good deal of the feedback is actually something along the qualitative lines where it's, I, I don't vibe with this person. There's something off. It can feel pedantic, frankly. It can feel like I'm nitpicking on something in a, in a kind of a, um, kind of a distasteful feeling way. If you were to just do it about somebody on the street, like you wouldn't, you went, well, I had this, this conversation with this person and honestly, like just the way that they were, they continued to repeat the same things over and over again. And it was just a, a bit frustrating and I, I just didn't get along with them. And I don't think I'd be able to, you know, have that conversation again. Those sorts of things in an, in an interviewing environment are actually important because you have to be able to have interpersonal connections, even though we're not synchronous in, in the way we work. It is one of the only things that we have to, to judge whether or not this person will fit into the culture effectively. So w- the reason I, I raise that as well is that I agree with Haney that just being able to read my stream of consciousness, semi-pedantic response to an interview actually doesn't mean this person can't perform in their role. And I don't think it's helpful for them if we have chosen due to like a bar raiser strategy to bring them in because they can execute effectively. Um, it's not, it's not going to make them better at their job to hear that from me. In fact, I I don't want them to hear it from me because, um, it's not something that they may be able to improve upon. Like maybe this person just has a different personality type than I do and that's okay. Um, so I guess my point is that, that, that information is, I think, important for the team to know from me, but I don't think it's important for the person if they've, if they've been brought in to start on day one, feeling like, well, there's this indelible part of my personality that this person just dislikes. And now I feel attacked, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not, I don't know that it's inside of human nature to be able to completely ignore that. And in a self-actualized way, be like, I, I am like water. This is okay. Uh, I think at some point it's going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wonder. So, okay. I I think a lot about points of cultural reinforcement and like one, one thing that I, I propose and actually, Haney, this is one specific example where, um, I proposed something that did not end up getting implemented was, uh, some companies, I think Basecamp is one of these companies that they open source the compensation data for everyone on the team. And they do it really as a, uh, like a lightning rod for culture, which is if you are the kind of person who is willing to have your compensation data published publicly on a spreadsheet, you're probably on board with a lot of the other transparency things. Um, and I propose that because I personally don't care. And I was the only person at the company who thought this was a good idea. And I also don't really care. So we decided not to do it. So, um, the, the, the specifics of, whether we give somebody their feedback, whether we give someone their assessments before they even start, um, isn't as important, but I would wonder how we culturally reinforce this. Cause I, I guess that this, this whole concept came to me from, um, after a recent acquisition of ours, we, as, as is like industry default, we went through and we hid all references to this company, which is totally normal and acceptable in what every company does. So they don't see the assessments and the thoughts that went into the process. Um, and it just felt weird to me to like go out of our way to hide information from people who are now on the team. So that was, that was the, the, the spidey sense that was going off. And I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel about that. 
maybe there's a, um, I mean, maybe there's a sort of compromise strategy, which I think is kind of what was being done before. I, I mentioned in the memo where we were, the threads were discussing this, that I found at some point the conversation about my hire, like it was somewhere in Notion and I just sort of stumbled on it. Um, and I didn't read it because I didn't, I just didn't really care at that point. But, you know, you could imagine a world where it wasn't hidden. There's a difference maybe between actively hiding it and actively serving it up to the person and forcing them to consume it on day one. So if, if a person wants to go back and read the thoughts, then cool. But they're sort of then assuming maybe this comes back to treating people like adults, right? You're like, all right, dude, that's your choice. You are now assuming the emotional baggage of that and that you can handle it. Um, the danger, I guess, is that people do that and then freak out <laughs> and, and it has a very negative response. And, and at that point, you know, you've sort of hired them and I, I'm not sure what you do at that point, but, um, yeah, I yeah mean, or, or, or you end up in a situation where there's, um, there's underlying tensions building and this is like, you know what, I bet this person just doesn't like me. I'm going to go dig through notion. Oh, look, surprise, surprise. Uh, they, they did negatively, you know, and it just creates sort of a, an accelerating trust issue between people, which yeah, I, again, we want to assume the best in people and hopefully we would not run into these problems. But what I think the compromise solution might be is you know, what's our goal? Our goal is that people can receive constructive negative feedback in order to do better in their role. That, that's my opinion. That, that negative feedback, the reason we, we want it to exist is because we have to help people course correct in their, in their positions. And oh. yeah, unless you disagree with that. Well, I'll, I'll bring up a, an earlier point related to that. So do we, what do we want? Do we want to be able to assume that the people at the company will use their judgment and will not silently breed anger towards their colleagues if they decide to go through Notion and see assessments? I mean, adults know that people make assessments on candidates, right? Because this can't be new information for people. So it feels kind of like we're, we're hedging for the scenario that we brought somebody into the company who is culturally misaligned. And now we're like making exceptions for that type of person in the company. And I think the, the answer for a lot of these things is like, like we're, we're asking the question of like, what if somebody X and the answer, like if X is not culturally aligned, then we don't, we don't have those people at the company, right? That seems like the correct answer to me. Well, I think in this specific case, like if we were talking about most other types of information, including mid-cycle performance reviews and things of that nature where there's performance on the line, then I would agree. But the problem is that a lot of this is assumption. Uh, a lot of hiring is soft skill. It's in really, I think in order to preserve an excellent culture, you need to have almost an over-the-top aggressive interviewing process where people are free to explore the limits of interviewing a candidate and like figure out, is this someone who is going to fit across like a huge number of dimensions based on Zoom calls. It's kind of challenging. And you you want people to be free to raise, no matter how small an inkling in the back of their mind it might be, raise a concern and put it out there without fear that this is at some point, maybe this person's being hired above them, that at some point this information can be used against them. You know, this is human nature. There is some self-preservation involved. And I think we need to bias towards a robust hiring process with security for the people involved. And that's why I'm, I'm leaning in this direction is that it's, Again, if it's a quantitative concern, like this person is not good at this thing and self-described or based on the technical challenge, um, and therefore I'm a no hire. Well, it's on the hiring manager, I think, to make the assumption on whether or not they can get there. And then I think that's a valuable piece of information that can't be lost in the hiring process. It should be presented to that candidate coming in the door. Look, you know, 
We're excited to have you start. And here are the areas of improvement that we're going to touch on in six months from now. And that I think is like taking the value there of helping somebody improve from the negative feedback and tying it to performance as opposed to just dumping it on them and potentially creating. Again, I, I, I want to assume that we won't create interpersonal strife, but I also want people to be able to ask the questions like, hey, great technical leader. Does their personality really fit here? Like I got this weird vibe from them. Yeah. The, the other thing that, um, that somebody brought up, um, I think in the conversation about this is that I think the sort of natural, um, inferiority complex or sort of imposter complex that sometimes goes with starting a new job, you know, particularly if you're kind of taking on a somewhat new role or you're taking on a higher role than you've had before. I think most people have some insecurity around hoping they can do it well. Um, and you know, one of the things I think we do really well through the onboarding process, everything from like the video we create for people to how deeply the hiring manager is involved in onboarding and helping them is I feel like we put a rocket ship under people to like, just the, the level of support is really incredible. And I think it really helps people just fire into the job and sort of do as, as great a job as they can and just and just sort of vibe into the culture with that really positive attitude. You just see this in Friday forums. The first month of somebody's Friday forums is usually so joyful. Um, I guess I would also just be a little worried about anything that might poke at that, you know, anything that might um, deflate people a little bit starting out. Again, maybe I'm assuming worst case scenario, but um, I think that's a unique thing we do and we shouldn't lose sight of how important that is. Yeah, I think if we were to use the base case, most of the people that we hire will be people who have a lot of very positive reasons for bringing them on. Um, I, I wonder if, a, if the compromise here is we, I'll, I'll pose this as a, as a concept would be, we have an onboarding card that even says something specifically like, by the way, unlike most companies, we haven't hidden all of your interviews and your and people's assessments you can look at them if you want like this is part of our culture is we're not going to go out of our way to hide information from you it's kind of up to you on whether you want to look at them or not instead of like confronting you with it um i don't know what the what the right reinforcement mechanism would be there yeah to me again i i think it's a question of what's the goal is the goal to help this person improve in their job or um, because if so, I think there's a better framing than this person stumbling across their notion document with fairly like raw, unfiltered thoughts in place. Um, again, with the treating people like adults, there's also the acting like adults and um, people are typically going to be more, I, I think, direct shorter, maybe a little bit more concise in their assessments in an interview than they would be with the person if they were delivering that feedback. And so allowing the person who feels this way to be quick with their interview assessments, but if necessary, like go in depth with a synchronous call without having to concern themselves with framing it in such a way that it will feel okay to the person who might eventually see it. Because yes, if I am working with this person and I know they're going to read this, I'm probably going to phrase it differently. And that's just my my nature. It won't change. If I know this person will will find this, especially if they might find it, it might stumble upon it as opposed to me, like being confident one way or the other, I'm going to bias towards the safe direction, which is that they, they will come across and it will feel like feedback as opposed to, um, 
feel like a you know more of an attack which some yeah it, it can feel that way if you're if you're reading raw thoughts from somebody i mean to your point sam about what are we getting out of this i mean i think where you started with this was was that perhaps this is a useful signaling mechanism to new hires about the seriousness with which we take some of these principles like treating you like an adult um and transparency i mean i guess one way to maybe test that is do we feel like that um do we need more signaling in that direction like are people because there are things that right now to your point about the salary thing there are things we hide like our transparency memo says look you don't get access to everything. There's a leadership forum. There are conversations that happen only between you two. There's certain things that we do hide. Um, so this doesn't feel like it's the one thing that's wildly out of line with everything else. And I feel like we do have a lot of other signaling mechanisms about how seriously we take transparency. Um, so maybe that's just one test to put this against is, is it, is it, and not only does it potentially help somebody or hurt them, but is it necessary? Is it useful? Are we adding I mean, I guess your point was, are we going out of the way to create bureaucratic administration to do something that is culturally misaligned in the sense of, is it hard to go through and hide all this stuff? I guess if the, if the practical answer is no, that happens by default, like this isn't an hour of, you know, Mrs. Time to do this for every hire that we have, then I don't know, you know? Yeah. I think there's a couple examples as well that, um, are interesting where we've had people join the team. And there's been some early personality, I think, we'll call it friction, um, that over time resolved itself through the process of working with the individual and seeing their real performance. And, and there are a couple really important examples that I, I think kind of go to the direction of if that trust had been eroded on day one or if there had been sort of a, a harm to the relationship, which, you know, again, we want people to be able to process information in a, in a very uh, non-egocentric way, but we can't always, I don't think we can expect that of people 24 seven, especially when you're stepping into an unfamiliar environment, a new work environment, a new team, um, and are, are trying to find your way. It would not be helpful. I would argue to start off on an even lower at an even lower point with an individual. So it's not clear to me that the, that, that, you know, those few examples would end up the way that they are, which is that they are in great shape now due to seeing each other and working together. Um, if there had been an early trust erosion from reading a frank comment about how you perceive the other person. Well, maybe the counterpoint to that is, would it be trust eroding to know that there's a possibility that people had negative things to say about you and you don't get to know about that? And we actually went out of our way to hide that information from you. How would that make you feel as a new hire, as a counterpoint? I assume that is the case. <laughs> because it is the default. Like, yeah. and I, I was surprised, frankly, when, you know, when I was coming on and I interviewed with each of the five founders and I don't know, it was mentioned at some point, or maybe I came across this later that there was a sort of unanimous consent idea here that all five people had to agree to bring somebody on. And I thought, oh, well, that's, that made me feel good because it sort of took away what I assumed would be the case, which is at least one of these five people went like, I don't know about that guy, but the other four liked him. And so we hired. So I, for me, it wouldn't counter any any assumptions I have or make me feel bad. I would just assume that's the case. But assuming best intent, I would go, well, whoever had that feeling, now they're just going to judge me on performance. They're assuming best intent for me or, or best you know idea. And now it is on me to just show everybody at this company that they made a good choice. Yeah, I don't have much to add there. I mean, I think it, it is... <laughs> 
it's interesting to to think about because everyone I have to assume assumes that there's not going to be unanimity and there's going to be some detractors. But um, when it comes to interpersonal dynamics, like specifically knowing who the detractor is and the nature of their detraction on the day that you're stepping into the role feels like you're starting off at a deficit. And I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's one thing to have a list of areas for optimization or improvement from your manager saying, Hey, this is the feedback that we got during the hiring process. Like we'd like to sharpen on these six points. Um, that feels very motivating in my opinion. It's like knowing where you stand and knowing what, what your objectives are by the next performance review, but simply having attributed negative, um, you know, responses to how you act or how you interview um, doesn't feel as useful. I, I, just, I think it literally is the nature of the feedback and how it's delivered just doesn't feel that useful to me. Well, so an interesting, to build, building off of what Haney said, I believe every hire that we've made to date, so we're a little over 40 people now, I believe every hire to date has been unanimous. Um, I don't think that we've hired anyone that had significant detractors there, there were some that were like passive yes, where they said, I, I didn't really get a very strong signal, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say no to this one because I don't have a strong enough opinion on it. That's that I think is the, the strongest negative that we've had for somebody that we still hired. So I don't know if that factors into it. I, I think that, um, I, I don't think that the first handful where everyone was intimately involved necessarily represents the way the process will go going forward. And, and also there have been a few examples where, um, you know, I, I've had some pushback on candidates, which had to be resolved through, actually, we, we took the approach of having follow-up conversations to specifically address this, which is, which is good, but may not always be the case either. And so, you know, I, I just think that the process is evolving in real time and won't won't reflect like these early sort of executive high involvement founding team type members. It's not going to be that way when we get a hundred people. But maybe it should. I mean, this is one of the interesting things that I've noticed with other companies is that as time goes on, they spend less as a percentage of their time interviewing. And I think it should probably be the opposite. Each incremental person becomes, it's, it's more and more important that those people are aligned. And you can solve a lot of this through content, which is good, that you can't do in the early days before you fully understand it. But maybe we can make that assumption internally. Yeah, it's, um, it's possible. The, I certainly wouldn't argue for spending less time on it, but I also can't say that unanimity is the way to solve problems like hiring. I, I think that it's actually perfectly fine to have detraction and, uh, and to disagree and commit, you know, like we've kind of embedded that. So I think we would end up hitting gridlock if we keep that. I think at the very least, it is an interesting point to think about to maybe play out from an operational standpoint, what would the implications of this kind of a policy, whether it is the maximal policy of we, we serve this to the person intentionally or whether the sort of passive policy of we allow them to see it if they so choose, what are the implications for the hiring process from the beginning? You know, what I would want, I would certainly want to think about how I was writing my notes, um, not to be less honest or candid, but 
to make sure that when somebody saw them later, they were productive and helpful, like in the same way that, you know, to carry that out to the extreme, like I wouldn't say like, you know, this person sucked. Like I would never say that in an interview, right? But like, or in a, in a note, but you know, I wouldn't even say things that I might be saying now, like ah, the vibe was just off. Like it would really make me stop and be much more specific about where I was uncertain. I would probably hedge and say, but you know, probably they can grow into this or I would do something else. And, but I think we could sit down and think about, you know, I could see a memo about how to give good interview feedback that just took this into account. People are going to see this someday. Um, and it should be productive or positive in the way it leans or avoid these particular phrases or, or at the very least, like take time and care, um, in how you write these interview notes. Um, it's probably a good, probably a good thing for all of us to learn and, and get better at anyway. Um, but I think that would be a necessary component of this policy. Yeah. I, I think that's one of my main concerns is I actually think that the purpose of the information is not, it's like orthogonal where, it's not, it's not opposed, but it's not aligned where my goal in hiring is making sure that this person is going to raise the bar and I want to put, I want to like find the cracks and I'm going to be over the top, like looking for small potential threads that we should pull on. Whereas if I'm giving feedback to somebody, I want to be specific. I want to be complete. I want to have sort of data to back it up. So I would not say something like the vibe was off just explicitly. I wouldn't because there's, there's nothing to back that up. And then I don't, I've, if I was giving someone feedback in a performance review, I need to give them specifics to help them grow and like do something about it. It's not helpful to just throw up a blocker and be a, you know, um, you know, not be solutions oriented with it. So that's why I think again to preserve the quote unquote sanctity of a, a bar raising interview process, you want people to be able to raise blockers that are just blockers. Like, hey, I don't, I don't like this thing. This is bothering me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a good that's, point. Like the, the purpose is orthogonal, so it's not, um, yeah, I see what you mean by that. Which is kind of why I think if, if it were to be, if the points of detraction that can be groomed into a specific, like I think, okay, the vibe was off, but that's okay. I'm not going to be working with them specifically. So you chose to hire, that's fine. But I still don't think their, their backend work is good. Um, or, or it could be improved, something like that, then, then that's a piece that I think can be improved on, which is why I think if we can, if we can have it on the hiring managers to compile feedback from the interview notes and provide that as a starting point, then it still, I, I believe, provides some, some quote-unquote negative feedback on day one to show that we're serious about this. Hiring managers have to start off on the right foot, and it gives you a milestone for uh, check-in feedback you know, six months down the road. And it's possible that you even say, hey, if you want to, um, you could maybe even assign as a buddy the person who had the detraction to to work on this with the person throughout the their time. Um, I'm not I'm not sure, but my point is just that take the the constructive feedback that is aligned with with feedback uh, as a and and don't just like dump the whole orthogonal discussion on them. Yeah, I wonder. So circling back on the topic of uh, what assumptions do we want to be able to make? Because this is the thing that has become uh, the, the idea of culture or the, the unspoken ways in which people interact with each other on a com at a company 
and um like an assumption that I would want to make about somebody on the team is that if I send them a calendarly link, they're not going to get upset that I didn't like pay them the respect of organizing it manually. There's some people who have these weird things about calendarly links, or if I send them an async loom instead of having a meeting, that they're not going to get offended that I didn't like spend the time with them and that I just did it as a loom. Um, so there are some. There's some assumptions that I would want to make around like communication patterns specifically. Um, is that is that the same thing as culture? I'd be curious your thoughts, Amy. I, I, this feels like personality to, to me um, to an extent. Like, I'm not sure. It's a good question. I would actually, I would have to think about this a little bit more because. I, I certainly know people who see the world, you know, we agree largely on things. I'm thinking outside of the professional environment here, but they're a much more emotionally charged person than I am. And so they, they tend to go with gut instinct over, uh, maybe objective data sometimes. And I actually think that's okay. They, they are quite helpful for me in figuring out problems that I'm having a hard time getting my arms around because they look, they have just slightly different mental models, but it's not that we disagree on core principles. Um, and I think that that person would certainly be more prone to reacting, at least in the moment, or ha having a negative reaction to a very, like, sort of short, abrupt, unexpected negative inter interaction with somebody at the company. And it would take them a little bit longer to figure out how to solve that. It might require a synchronous call or something like that. And so it, um, it's m maybe less compatible. I don't want to say it's not compatible with our culture, because I think it, it we should have some sort of environment where we can adapt to a range of personalities. Again, we don't we don't want just one type of personality, but it doesn't feel like a cultural misalignment to me. But you know, it's interesting. I I kind of had the the opposite thought. I was thinking, yeah, that feels sort of squarely within culture to me. Um, maybe not. You know, the qualifier you used there was like a negative comment. So maybe how you deal if, if the nature of the loom is sort of negative feedback. I think that maybe puts it in a slightly different camp. But if it's just if it's just a loom, to your point, Sam, and it's like you know, why did Sam deliver this via Loom as opposed to emailing me, you know, or, or calling me directly or having a conversation? That to me feels like just a, a practical way we do comms here. Um, it is part of the remote async culture that we have. And that's like a thing I would try to filter out in the, in the interview process. Like if you're going to be offended by that, if you're really not on board with that kind of communication, then yeah, you probably just don't don't fit here. And I think it's up to the person then to decide, you know, I'm uncomfortable with that, but I'm, but I see the point of it and I'm willing to, I'm committed to growing into being okay with that. Um, you know, one of the examples, Sam, you and I have talked about was me unlearning what it means to get feedback from a CEO. And in most companies, a loom from the CEO, not just a loom from a coworker, but a loom from the CEO means a certain thing and has a certain kind of weight to it. And, and that was my assumption coming in, but I was, I was committed to the idea that uh, I was assuming best intent that you meant what you said when you say, look, I'm going to throw ideas over the fence. This doesn't mean you have to drop everything and do it. But it took me six months to get comfortable with that idea and to be able to not have that sort of visceral reaction when I see it of, oh, God, what does Sam want me to do now? Right. Um, so that's a culture, th it's a personality thing and a culture thing, but I think it's, 
willingness to to commitment to grow into the culture despite maybe a personality a slight personality misalignment um if it if i didn't feel i could ever be okay with that then then i shouldn't work here hmm. yeah i think that's a, a great point and a, a good um it's a good heuristic because if if someone is set in their ways and you know, as opposed to a one-time response reaction of, oh, I, this is unexpected and, um, you know, maybe something bordering on offended uh, versus, okay, I didn't realize this is how people operate here. I want to learn more. I'm willing to lean in and change, like, you know, my, frankly, change how I respond to these sorts of scenarios. That's the culture alignment. Um, I think, Sam, you know, you picked some examples, which, yes, that would be a problem. It would be a, a roadblock to us being able to work effectively if somebody gets upset when they get a Calendly link. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like, Using the word culture feels strange to me, but like when I, some of our, some of the candidates that we, when we talk to them, um, will shortly after an interview follow up with like a 20 minute loom of something of like an async conversation of follow-up thoughts and questions that they had. And the immediately thought that the immediate thought that goes through my mind is like, this person's a great culture fit. Like they get what we're doing and they're on board with us. And similarly, I bring up the Calendly link example because I during when we were doing our, our seed round process, there were there were actually multiple investors where I would say, Yeah, happy to chat. Here's my Calendly link. And one of them back channeled to a mutual friend and said that it was incredibly disrespectful that I sent them a calendly link to schedule. And I was like, I'm offering to have a phone call with you. Like, why are you getting upset? Just because I didn't like, you think it's better to loop in an EA to like, my EA talks to your EA. Somehow that's better than, than just you just picking the time. I don't understand. So the, the yeah. immediate thought that went through my mind is like, I could not work with this investor. They don't get it. They're not a culture fit. It feels weird to use that word, but there's something, I don't know, there's something deeper about it. No, I think that's dead on. Um, I also think that... that yeah, that person's making some sort of um, argument in favor of like a code of ethics that feels unnecessary. It's like, you know, some sort of honor code that really isn't grounded in honor. It's more so like a hierarchy of respect where they feel slighted because they're supposed to be higher on the hi hierarchy of respect than you. And so they have to be asked when their times are. And so I, I don't know, there's something there which is just extremely misaligned and I do think it lands in culture, but also probably a degree of like personal, personal issues that are not self-actualized. <laughs> I, I take your point about the word culture, because as I'm talking to candidates about this and I'll say, you know, we, we have a unique culture. It can start to feel like the cult side of things, right? Like culture taken to its extreme becomes a cult. It's like, yeah, you, it's the same root word. <laughs> it's like we operate in a very particular way and this is how you have to do things. Um, but I think, again, it comes back to sort of framing because what I always end up saying to people is, you know, that culture grows out of the culture is born of best intentions. It grows out of a very conscious and ongoing effort to make this a good place to work and to treat people well. And it's sort of born of, of kindness. Like that's where the culture comes from. It's not culture for culture's sake. It's not Sam trying to get on the cover of, you know, fast company as this crazy new leader. It's like, 
this really is born from everybody's here is committed to like, let's make this a nice place to work. Work doesn't have to suck. Well, an interesting point to that actually might be a, a rephrasing of that is it's a really good place for some people to work, right? Like it is hiring is necessary. It's necessarily exclusive. It's not inclusive. It is, you are, you are not letting everyone in. You're picking the people who you think will be the best fit. And it works in both directions. Like they are also being exclusive on what company they join, um, which I think is, it makes sense. And when I, when I do the culture fit conversations with candidates, I'm going out of my way to explain all of the reasons why people would not want to work here. And we had somebody two days ago send an email after we had our conversation and they said like, Hey, I'm going to step out of the process. I think some of the things around remote and async are not really for me. I, for me, I, I really need daily casual social interactions with my coworkers and the, the being remote and async is just not my cup of tea. It's like, cool. That, that makes sense. It, it's probably not possible to have that kind of lifestyle when you're fully remote. Like you, she would do a lot better in a co-located team. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, the, the culture that we build, and this comes into the tying back into the diversity question of what is the, what are the, the similar characteristics that we want without becoming too similar? Um, like it, what, what is, what are those concepts? And maybe this just is the, the values that we keep talking about. Yeah. Um, all good thoughts. I mean, I, I think that at the end of the day, we should have assume best intent as one of the, the guiding principles of our interactions as a company and as individuals. And then backing out from there, yes, hiring is an exclusive process. And most candidates that apply and that we seek actually won't end up working here for one reason or another. Um, but there's like, you know, there, there's an orthogonalness again to the, to the reasons for certain information. And I think what we, what we want and what we started this conversation around is that we, we want to lean in on negative feedback, constructive negative feedback is a, a tool that we use at this company. And we need to reinforce that from day one. Um, so we should find a way to, to do that effectively, but I'm not entirely sure that cross pollinating those processes is the right way to find people who like fit the culture, but also, um, you, you know, but both find, find people that fit the culture and also give them that first taste of feedback. Cause it's actually not representative of the way we want to use feedback inside the company. I, I think we, we want to, we want the feedback giver and receiver to both be intentional about that process. And, and so that's why I, I still think it's a little bit orthogonal, but at the same time, I agree with you that we, we need people who engage in good faith and are able to steel man the op the other side's um, feedback, even to the extent that maybe we implement something like that along the lines of when you receive negative feedback, as opposed to taking a combative argumentative stance and trying to rationalize like, oh, well, this is why you're wrong. It It's possible that maybe we implement something where your goal, your responsibility is to steel man that and actually double down. And uh, like Haney started off the conversation with like, or, or, or for you, uh, you know, actually I'm not very strong on backend. And I've noticed this and I've actually been, here's my reading list where I've personally been planning over my next think week to, to brush up, you know, find ways to, to explain why you agree and how, what you're going to do about it. 
those are the qualities that I think will make us a, a self-reinforcing entity as opposed to just having, say, strictly thick skin and an ability to let like personal comments glance off you like like nothing. You know, that that's probably <laughs> to some extent important, but not, I don't think that having extremely thick skin makes you great at getting better at things and, and executing well. Yeah, it relates to one of the principles in in the book we're reading right now, the 15 less or 15 steps of conscious leaders or 15 principles of conscious leaders commitments. Yeah. Um, 15 commitments. Thank you. Um, and one is see everybody as an ally. Um, and, and that I think speaks to what you're talking about, Josh, it's sort of the equivalent of steel manning. It's see every piece of feedback, whether it is intended to be positive or not. Like the example they give is maybe somebody in the company is out to get you, but you don't have to treat it like that. You can take whatever they're doing as an opportunity for you to learn, for you to grow, for you to see what the universe is giving you in that feedback. Um, as with many of the commitments in that book, I listened to them and thought, I'm on board, but boy, I've got some work to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think this goes back to the sort of hiring and personality question is we want people who are interested in and committed to this style of work and particularly in leadership roles, the style of leadership. Um, and I think who we feel have that commitment and potential to continue to grow, but, but it's, it's unrealistic to hire for people who are, have achieved all of those who are already conscious leaders because just most people aren't, it's not what our education system or our work system creates like you, you have to become that in opposition to most of the systems that you, that you live in. Yeah. So like, uh, this is one of the things that, uh, because was in the book, the score takes care of itself just by famous football coach, Joe Walsh, something, Bill Walsh. I don't know. Guy who was 49ers. Um, <laughs> somebody who knows sports will know the answer to that. I think it was Bill Walsh. And he, uh, he says that the, the thing that he filters for more than anything else is a willingness to adapt to our system and our way of doing things. And so that's, uh, that's a really important one, I think, is it's okay if you're not already a fully conscious leader, but we need to know that you're on board with continuing to develop and adapt to the way that we do things, because it is quite different than I think most people are used to. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a really good one. I, I think it's, that implies a whole bunch of things, like assuming best intent um, and and a willingness to change and adapt and be flexible with the, you know, it's a disagree and commit sort of philosophy where I might build a company differently, but in this instance, I'm going to build the company that we've agreed upon. Yeah. And I want, sorry, go ahead, Andy. I was going to say, and, uh, part of that is helping us make it better, right? Like that, that we say, and I think we're great about this. We're transparent from day one. I, this is where the feedback exercise of improve our onboarding, I think is a really helpful signal of look, you've been listening through all these interviews to all these intentional ways in which we run the company, but we also want to enforce that we're learning. It's still an experiment. We don't have all the answers and we brought you on to help us improve. You are now part of this effort to create this place to work. Yeah. So I wonder back to the original, one of the original questions of what, what assumptions do we want to make about every person at the company? So we want to be able to assume good intent that if I send something that is maybe poorly worded, they're not going to freak out and get angry. They might ask for clarification and like 
we can have a reasonable conversation about it. And I don't need to, I don't want to feel like I have to walk on eggshells in every conversation. Um, we want to assume that they're on board with the focus on the focus and priority on deep work and respecting my time where they will try to default to asynchronicity and not schedule a bunch of recurring meetings. Um, what are, what are some other assumptions that, that you would want to make about a new hire? Like if, if a new hire started doing thing X, you would not be thrilled about. I mean, there's a lot there, but uh, you know, inside of the, <laughs> assuming that we've selected for someone who's culturally aligned initially. Uh, so, so we can kind of ignore all the things that are outside the box. Um, I, I think that the generally the process of trying to workshop feedback immediately in a way that is, uh, like taking on a receptive role when, when receiving feedback, I think is really important. And this is something I've been thinking more about is that, um, a lot of times it's important for people to separate out the process of receiving feedback, processing it, and then following up on it. And I think this is one area where a person who's intent on improvement, on self-improvement for not just for themselves, but like, like Haney was saying, you know, this is something the universe is giving me. They treat feedback literally as a gift and there's no, uh, there's no intention of, uh, reposturing and positioning oneself to, to like, leave this person with a better impression um, or change their opinion on the spot. And that's something I, I think is actually really important. It's, a, it's hard to exactly describe, but it's something along the lines of being able to just strictly receive the feedback and that's it. And then at some point process and respond to it as opposed to trying to immediately throw up a response, a block, or um, a retaliation, not, not, not even a retaliation, it doesn't have to be negative or spiteful. It's just, just simply the process of not being willing to process over time um, what, you're, what you're hearing and instead feeling like you have to instantly push back is something that I, I think we need to filter for or, or somehow create process for. Yeah, and to your point about assumptions, Sam, I was just thinking like, is that assumption that we should make about somebody coming in and I come back to like, I think we should assume that people are committed to um, moving in that direction or that they're committed to that as a principle. Um, and then I think we need to, we talked about this a little bit in, in a previous um, conversation about feedback. I think we need to continually look at how we help people get there. Like, how do we train people to give feedback, to receive feedback, um, you know, all of those kinds of things. I mean, the other assumption that came to mind, you and I think this fits maybe in what you said, Josh, of like, assuming you've already hired for culture fit is, or when you said, what would strike you if you saw somebody doing it? Gossip is one of the things that came to mind. It's again, talked about in the, the conscious leadership book, you know, there's a whole chapter about gossip and I sort of fast forwarded through it. Cause I'm like, nah, not a problem here. Like, got it. If you're doing all these other things that shouldn't happen. Um, I don't know what other principles that grows out of, um, but that feels like a thing that if we saw people starting to do it, um, you'd, you'd immediately go like, hang on, <laughs> it's not what we do. Yeah. I, I like, I like that, uh, certain cultures, like the, there are certain like automated corrective mechanisms that some cultures have, uh, in the, the book on Netflix culture that we read the, the automated response that people give. Uh, well, what did they say when you told them that directly? 
and just like training people to say that it's mm-hmm. just like a it's a corrective mechanism where you can't even get to the first stage of starting gossip because you you are forced to talk to that person before you can continue so i i think baking in those sort of corrective mechanisms are, are a really smart thing for us to think about yeah <clears throat> I, I think it's also gossip and intentions are are so aligned it's like there, there's a very obvious difference between gossip and feedback and it's that the person who needs it isn't getting it so that sort of you could probably extrapolate that in a bunch of ways like if somebody who comes into the company is indirect in their like it's not taking direct action or providing direct feedback whether this is gossiping or um deflecting or go down the, the line but there's just a ton of different ways in which the person is not shortening the distance between their like potentially helpful feedback and the person who needs it, then that's a problem, you know, especially in a culture like ours where people are essentially autonomous. They're, they're on their own. We don't micromanage. It's not, it's not going to happen automatically. It's actually, we rely on the individual to be implementing these things day in and day out and and really reflecting that culture. Well, that's helpful. So, Tying back to the the proposal, it sounds like it's probably given that the intent of the interview process is not to give constructive feedback, it probably doesn't make sense to surface this. Is it culturally aligned? It is the industry default, so it's not going to be controversial if we choose to go either way. But um, is it culturally aligned to go out of our way to hide the information, like as is the industry norm and? probably close to 100% of companies. I, I guess I would come back to, I think it is because we are not a 100% transparent organization today. I think if we want to make that commitment, then there's some other things we have to unwind and there's some, you know, um, implications to that. But I think this can fall in the bucket of, um, we are transparent where, where there is utility or there is at least no risk of harm. Well, let's, let's role play this. So I'll, I'll ask, I'll pretend like I'm a new hire and I will ask Josh this question. It's like, Hey, no, I, I know that I was hired. I imagine there was an, I did all these interviews and I was hoping to be able to see that. Uh, like we, I'm an adult. Like why is all of this information hidden from me? It's not like I'm going to get upset about it. Why is it all hidden? Yeah. I mean, um, I would share a few things probably one one would be well first firstly we you know as a team we came we came to the conclusion that we were going to hire and so despite some detracting opinions which i'm sure you can assume will be the case with any interview process we decided to start off with um having you on the team and we'll move forward from there it's sort of a disagree and commit philosophy and we want to make all of our feedback feedback and thus, you know, going forward, anything you hear from the team will be direct. It will be performance oriented and it will be based on real experience as opposed to an uh, interview process, which is more about, you know, sussing out areas for opportunity. And then two, it's directly related. A lot of the conversation is related to compensation and leveling. And we've made a decision as a team to, um, you know, when deciding where someone lands on the leveling, that that is not publicly shared. And so it's um, it's part of our, information like primarily transparent but not entirely transparent information management something like that 
And I would probably just say, you know, and I think this is probably what we should end up with after this conversation. We should take the, the pieces of constructive feedback and give them to, to people. There's no reason to hide that information. And so I would likely say, and also we already delivered to you all of the pieces of constructive feedback that we, uh, you know, which is part of our next month's performance review process. Um, so I, I don't think we should lose the valuable areas for, oppor for opportunity. Well, I don't have strong enough opinions on one way or the other. Um, what would be a good mechanism for us to um, reinforce very early that we take this concept seriously? Like, what, what would be something in the onboarding material that we can have that really... Because the, the interesting example of, like, compensation data, why we don't make that public is that you can make it public if you want. It's your information. It's up to you. You can do whatever you want with it. You, you already have access to this information. Um, as opposed to like, we're not even going to tell you how much money you make because we don't think you can handle that information. That would be obviously pretty absurd. Um, but if you want to share that information with the team, like you can post it on threads if you want, people would probably ask why you did that, but <laughs> nobody's stopping you. Um, the, the question of like withholding information, I think is different. Um, so what, what would be what would be a good way of reinforcing this cultural value of treat people like adults as, as early as possible in the process so that people know that we take it very seriously? Well, this may circle back to the, the question I think you started with, which is what does it mean to treat people like adults? Like, are we, is that about trust? Because in that case, I would say we communicate that by saying, we trust you to improve our onboarding process. We trust you to take this corporate card and not abuse it. We trust you to take vacation when you want to. We trust you to manage your own day. Um, those are all signs that we treat you like an adult. If treat you like an adult means we assume that you have a, a level of consciousness and emotional maturity, and we're going to test that, um, you know, that's a little different. I don't know what, what the... Yeah. You know, and I, I'm, you know, playing that a little bit too far, but, you know, maybe that's where Josh's point of, um, the negative feedback, um, or, or the constructive feedback that arose servicing the constructive feedback that arose during the interview process from the beginning. Um, you know, these are some areas that we've identified through the interview process that we believe you can grow into. Um, and we're super committed to helping you do that. Like six months from now, these are going to be superpowers that you don't currently have. By the way, I just accidentally turned off your camera. Can you turn that on, Amy? <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of, the, one of the other principles around treating people like adults that's come up for me is the idea, the principle of agency. Like a, adults have agency. And I was, talking to, I was talking to an engineer at a big tech company, I think last week, and she's really excited about our culture especially this idea of treat people like adults. And one of the things that she said that is so frustrating about her current job is that they, they organize these like employee play dates that are all optional, but she doesn't go to them and it shows up on her performance review that she didn't go. And they're like, well, you know, we just don't think that you're a team player because you didn't go to the team happy hour. She's like, oh, so this is actually mandatory. Like, oh no, no, it's optional. It's like, Okay. <laughs> and if you're an adult, you have agency over what you go to. If you don't want to go to these events, you don't have to. You, 
You can prioritize your family. You can prioritize whatever you want. You don't have to be forced into these, uh, these like company led events that are not specifically related to your job. So that's, that's one of the other principles that's, I think, come up for me. Yeah, I think that's an important one. Um, <clears throat> I agree with Amy. You know, we reinforce treating like an, an adult throughout the entire interview process. I, I think, you know, directly handing over inter- investor updates and uh, all hands meetings and uh, basically giving you the entire playbook of the company is, is something that I think shocks most people because they don't, they're not used to being treated like an adult in that way. I think, you know, when it comes to hiding or wouldn't call it hiding, I think it is um, archiving information that actually isn't relevant from the point that you're hired because we're transitioning to a performance-based process going forward is to me, to me, it's grounded in respect, which is that, again, I, I don't think like if we're going to create information that should be used as feedback, it should be created in that way. We should be really good at the things that we do because we are adults. We want to treat people like adults, which means if I'm going to give you feedback, I'm going to give you feedback. It's not going to be my top of mind stream of consciousness, unfiltered thoughts. So that's where I, I don't think I'm disagreeing with anything to the extent that we should just make sure that the information is being used as it's intended. And um, that, that actually goes to a respect kind of paradigm for the individual creating it as well, is that we, just like with the Friday forums, we allow people to, to or with, actually with all of the information we produce, you decide what happens with it. If you're the creator of a memo, you decide what the, the transparency ranking is. If you are saying something at the Friday forum, you can decide if you, if you want it removed. In general, we give people autonomy over the information they're producing. And you have a job to do, which is you know, do this to the best of your ability. If your job is to interview someone, it shouldn't be um, sort of enforced on you that that information is going to be given to that person. Maybe you're not comfortable with that. You want to, you would frame it differently if you were giving it to them. And so again, I, I think it's, you know, it, 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 it falls within the treating people like adults paradigm to also be respectful of the process that, that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, maybe one sort of analog here, going back to your salary question, when you were saying sort of doing that role play, my first thought was like, it almost feels like somebody who came in and asked that right away feels like not quite a culture fit. Like that feels a little aggressive. Um, (laughs) you know, like, Hey, I want to see this stuff. You know, it would be the equivalent of somebody coming in and saying, um, Hey, you just hired me as an engineer. I'd like to know how much Jeremy makes. And I think your response to that would be, well, go ask Jeremy and Jeremy's can decide whether or not he wants to tell you that. And I think you could say the same thing. If somebody said, I'm really curious what came up during my interview process that maybe you didn't surface here. Sure. Um, you know, everybody you talk to, yeah, like, I right. could reach out to Andrew and go like, Hey, I'm just curious. What were your reservations? Yeah, that's a great point. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I wonder something that is maybe crystallizing for me is it's almost like the, the definition of company culture is the set of assumptions you can make about somebody having never interacted with them before. That might be just a, a concise definition of what a company culture is, where somebody from a different department that you've never talked to, what can you assume about that person before having interact with them at all? Interesting. Yeah, the, the culture, it's, there are a lot of companies who make their way into the, into the mainstream press because they have a certain type of culture. And, you know, using that framework, like I personally know people at those companies that don't fit with that 
quote unquote, like public culture at all. Um, there, there may be even like the opposite on paper. So I, I wonder how long that, like how far you can extrapolate that. Um, well, like specific examples would be if I were to talk to somebody who works at GitLab, I can make a whole bunch of assumptions about how they work because GitLab has a very specific culture. Um, if I met somebody who worked at, uh, or works at Bridgewater, they're also a company that has a very specific culture and you can make a lot of assumptions about how you can interact with that person. Um, so that, that might be like, a a way of thinking about culture. Um, what are, what are the assumptions that we would want people to make about people who operate at levels? Okay, I think that's, I think it's at least a useful exercise to play out and to ask across a, a broader group of people. I think to Josh's point about what are the limits, the example I come back to a lot is the book we read about Amazon. And there was a story in there of a person who was screaming and yelling at people in meetings. And I thought, but wait, I thought you guys were super careful not to hire people who did that. So like clearly at some point, the process cracks at the very least, uh, they have a hundred thousand people, right? So you would expect that it would, but, um, yeah. What, at what point do you get to the point where you accidentally hire somebody who screams at people? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, <clears throat> th there's the, the concept and the reality and there's going to be some, some white space there, but you know, for Sam, Sam, I think when, when you're talking about as a heuristic for what, what does culture actual actually mean? It's something that you would theoretically you would if someone was a perfect culture fit these are the things that you could assume about them and the reality is going to be somewhere in between due to personality for example we're just not having an ideal cultural vetting process like one of the things we don't have today is we you know no two interviews are going to be the same no two interview processes are going to be the same so it's all it's somewhat soft and squishy yeah well, this was this was a really helpful conversation for me, um, thinking through some of these things. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a useful exercise maybe to talk to the team about like this. Maybe even ties into the conscious commitments, the fifteen commitments of conscious leadership, um, where like those are things that you commit to. Therefore, you can assume those things about people, right? Like these are the things that we have committed to when we follow through on them. Yeah, I like the, I really like the exploration of what, what should you, or what would you want to be able to assume about the people you work with? Like, that's actually something I haven't really sat down and thought through. And, um, might be a, a, a fun exercise for us to try and outsource a little bit more to a wider audience is, um, we might hear some interesting stuff that is like sort of emergent almost, but one of the cool things is. I, as you keep using the term culture and like, what does it mean? It's interesting because I can't, there's no examples because I don't know of other companies that actually are working on building a culture. It's almost like something that's at, they're at the mercy of, you know, it's like, what, what is the, what are the mainstream news outlets going to say is our culture? That's what, when you find out what it is almost. And so being very upfront and, and specific about it, I think should be a kind of a group effort. Like, um, and yeah, so if, if we're going to define culture as the things you should want to be able to assume about people coming in. That's a, a decent heuristic. We should see what, what other people feel. Yep. And I think the point of, to your point about what would mainstream press say about me, um, or about our culture, why we have that culture, I think is an important thing to keep coming back to 
because I do think in a lot of the, it, it feels like in a lot of places, the culture becomes sort of a, an interesting defining characteristic. And there's a commitment to the culture without maybe enough underlying, we're doing this because we believe this will produce more happiness and productivity in our employees, or because we think this will make the world a better place to work. <laughs>